Hello, everyone. Um, just before I start, I just have a, a question. Neurodiversity, on a scale of one to five, what is your knowledge of it? One, I'm just hearing about it now. Five, I could do this presentation. Just put your hands up. I just, I'm curious to know. All right, so we have a, a variance. I, I just welcome that if you're on the lower end, please don't hesitate to ask questions. Um, and if you are on the higher end of it and you have an experience that you'd like to share, I'm definitely welcome to it because that's how I roll. All right, I want to first just inter start off with introducing myself. My name is Jamie. My pronouns are she, her. Um, just some background about me, kind of the reason why I have a passion for neurodiversity and really all things disability is I once in a past life was a special education teacher. Um, I now am a facilitator and a coach for a local credit union. Um, I do have some certifications behind my name. I am a coach, a meditation and yoga teacher. And also just to be totally just transparent with everyone, I, I am neurodivergent myself. I do live with anxiety. You probably can hear it in my voice. It's just kind of something that I live with every day. Um, I am a highly sensitive person. And I also, the glory of chemo, it saved my life, but it also gave me some lifelong lasting things to my body, including that it has changed my brain, especially in the fact with my memory. So there's a lot of times when I lose words is pretty much the main thing is what happens to me. Uh, kind of just what we're going to talk about today is we're going to go over a little bit of the history and where the term neurodiversity came from. Um, I'm going to go over some definition and some just some common terms. I'm going to talk just really briefly about some forms because this is a huge span of people, so I'm just going to touch on it because this could be just a, a day-long conversation. Um, I also want to make sure we know about some advantages of actually being neurodivergent. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about language, and then I'm going to end with Diversity Pride Month, because actually that is this month. All right, I'm going to start off with talking about Judy Singer. She is actually the reason why we have the term neurodiversity. She started this movement about in the mid-1990s. Um, she is self-proclaimed neurodivergent. She um, probably is somewhere on the autism spectrum. She... Uh, and she kind of just said, you know, she wrote a book about how she just felt different and how things growing up in school is really hard for her because of her neurodivergence. Um, and then she had a daughter who is also neurodivergent, and that's kind of, and she's very well educated. I think she's a professor somewhere, so she did a lot of research, and because of her daughter, she decided, I want to do some more research on different types of brains, and then decided, you know what, there actually needs to be a movement. There needs to be, people need to be aware of this. So what she kind of looked at is she said, you know, people with different kinds of minds, they're oppressed the same way as LG LGBTQ plus people are, the way that some women are, the way that people of different races are. And they realized that, you know, so she looked at those groups and they're like, well, they have a movement, so people with different minds need a movement also. And then she realized there needs to actually be like a really good name for it. People can latch on to it. And she went, well, neurological diversity, that's just too long, that's too hard, that's a mouthful. So she went, well, you know what, neurodiversity, I think that's a really good term. So that kind of why it stuck with it. And what she, she wants to make clear is that neurodiversity is not a judgment. It has nothing to say about normality and morality. Neurodiversity names a biological reality. Every human has a unique nervous system with a unique combination of abilities, of needs, and that is all. So when you think of neurodiversity, it's not a group of people, it's everyone. We are 
all different. Our brains are all different. We all think differently. There are some of us who do have some things that maybe stand out a little bit more that make us more towards a different side of the spectrum, but we all are different. And also really think about it, normality is a socially constructed term, originated in the 19th century, and it was really for the use of eugenics. There is no normal. I know we really always try to strive to be normal, but there is no normal. Talk a little bit about definitions. So neurodiversity, it is the diversity of human minds, the infinite variation of neurocognitive functioning within our species. So it's kind of like biology, everything is different. We all are different species, we all think differently. So don't, so one person is not, is not neurodiversity. I am not neurodiversity, our world is neurodiversity. Now neurodivergent, that is the individual. It's having a mind that functions in ways which, is diverge, which diverge significantly from the dominant social, society standards of normal. So truly, and also too, one thing to think about is to be neurodivergent, it's not a diagnosis. You don't go to a doctor and they don't say, Jamie, you're neurodivergent. No, it's something that you can actually put on yourself. There are other things underneath neurodivergent that actually truly are diagnosis, but you don't necessarily need to be diagnosed to consider yourself neurodivergent. Next, I wanna talk just a little bit about this uh, Nick. She came up with the neurodiversity paradigm, um, just kinda seems to think about what neurodiversity is. So number one, neurodiversity is a natural and valuable form of human diversity. So it really is a good thing. We need neurodiversity. So really, if we think about it, there is not one normal or, hearth, or healthy type of brain or mind we need that, we really truly need that diversity among our brains. And she really wants to state that is that it is a culturally constructed fiction. There is no normal. We really are all different. And then the third is that social dynamics manifesting from neurodiversity are very similar to social dynamics that manifest from other forms of human diversity. So it's just as important as our gender is our sexual orientation, whatever we want, you know, our skin color, our skin hair, our, our eyes, however we are different is just as important as how our brains function. All right, this is a, just a, um, a chart that I found that I thought was really cool, that it explains a lot of things. Again, this is not just all encompassing of what neurodiversity is. This is just some examples. Um, but this chart actually really is a good, is a good way of showing just kind of what, what they have and what some of the advantages that do bring. Some things I really like to point out too is resilience. Uh, one thing that's interesting for people who are neurodivergent when the pandemic hit, for a lot of people, especially the people who are kind of considered normal and social, the extroverts, you know, really, it, it, it's been hard, especially when it first hit, it's been very hard for people. Well, those of us who kind of live in, who are neurodivergent and kind of live in our own world, it really wasn't that much different for us because we're kind of used to it. I know for myself, being an introvert, just being highly sensitive, it actually almost was kind of, in some ways, kind of a reprieve because I got to go into my home and sit in my home and it, all this, the sensory wasn't coming at me. Like I actually was able to take a little bit of a break. At the same time, I feel all the feels and feeling you know, everything that's going on was also very hard. But because of what we deal with every day, because of our differences, we have some ingrained resilience that when tough things happen, 
we know how to deal with it a little bit better than maybe what the you know normal society is able to deal with. Um, also, just think about just some things that people have. Creativity, you know, people who are neurodivergent really can bring some really good creativity into your workplace, into just your social life, because they're thinking, you know, the, the term thinking outside the box, it's truly what they do. Also, sensory awareness, that's another big one. Um, there's sensory all around us. They're the ones who are going to feel things. They're the ones who are going to be a little more intuitive. So if someone you know that is somewhat neurodivergent and they say, hey, I have this feeling, listen to them because they really are ones that are in tune with what's going on. And they're, they're not just making things up. They really do feel everything. Another thing to think about, too, is down if you look at the bottom, there's the acquired neurodivergent. I don't know why she has neurodiversity, but it's acquired neurodivergent. There's a lot of things that can be under that. Um, it's not so clear cut. Um, you know, now with COVID, you can have, your brain can change because of COVID. Maybe because of trauma, you have some acquiredness. Maybe because of drug use, you know, just, a, just living life can happen. Kind of like what I said before with chemotherapy has changed my brain too. So there's a lot of things. You're not necessarily just born with it. It can be truly just what happens in your life that causes you to change. Just getting older, our, you know, our brains change. You know, we do all have some natural dementia that happens no matter what. It's, it's just, it's what happens. And our, our mind changes. We talk about how, you know, things that used to bother us when we were very little, and then that changes now. Well, that's because our brains do change as we get older as we live more experience. I think this is, um, this might be um, European, but yeah, the ASC, that's how they have it written. I was gonna point that out, so thank you for calling me out. Speaking of autism, I just wanna, there's just three of them that I want to point out that are some advantages. Again, there's so many different types of way to be neurodivergent, and again, we could talk you know, all day about this, so I just wanna point out just a couple of them and some bigger ones, well-known. Autism is quite known. So autistic people, just to one thing to realize, they do have at least, most of them have at least average, and some of them have very high intelligence. It, you know, they have a lot of verbal skills, rich vocabulary. They're able to think in visual images and identify patterns just because their brain is different, so they think more in images sometimes. Again, they think outside the box, and they can generate some novel solutions. So if you have a problem, and you know someone who is, who is autistic, go ask them. They might think of something totally off the wall. They're, they have the ability to absorb and retain large amounts of information. They're very detailed-oriented. Their ability to focus for long periods on areas of interest is one thing, especially when you're autistic, that you tend to have just interests that you really cling on to. So if you get to know people and you find the interests that they really like, go to them because they probably have done so much research and they're just the expert on it, on those certain topics that they are really interested in. If you need someone who's okay with doing repetitive tasks, there's sometimes they might be the person to go to. They tend to be very reliable and very punctual. If you tell them you need to be here at 9.30, they're gonna be there. They tend to be honest, loyal, fair, and just. And they're also really good listeners. They're not gonna judge you. I mean, maybe they might judge you, but they're, they're probably going to not actually put it out there in the open as much. Another one that we hear a lot about is ADHD or ADD. They're both similar. The difference between ADHD and ADD is the H. It's the hyperactivity. Um, 
either you're, you're hyper or you tend to just be more just not as hyper. Those are kind of the two different things. Sometimes they're lumped together. They are similar, but yet that hyperactivity does kind of separate them. At the same time, what's interesting is that they can actually be pretty hyper-focused when they need to be. If they have an interest that they're in, they will be hyper-focused. They have higher le levels of creativity and curiosity. There's that word again, creativity. We really, there's, because their brain works differently, they're able to find that creativeness. Innovation and inventiveness, they're really, again, their mind is working in a different way. If you have ADHD, you can be a leader. There's nothing that says that you can't be. And that, you know, a lot of people, you probably know someone who has a lot of energy. They, they might be kind of spontaneous. That's, they probably have ADHD. Maybe it's diagnosed or not diagnosed. But yeah, those are the people that you kind of see, okay, that have that all that, that high activity. They probably have some sort of ADHD. Another common one that I picked out was dyslexia. Um, this is just when you have um, trouble with reading. Um, not necessarily that it's definitely, sometimes you see kids that in school do get services, special education services because of this. It does not mean that you have a lower intelligence. You do have average or at least above average intelligence. It's just more with actual words. So again, because maybe words are hard for them, they're really good at visual processing. They think in vision. They think, you know, in pictures more. They have some good spatial knowledge. They're able to see the bigger picture. They might maybe, because because of, again, words aren't their thing. Mechanical more, physical things are more their thing. Again, highly creative. And what's really interesting is that it's projected that 50% of NASA employees are dyslexic. So again, Sometimes we think of certain things and we think, oh, they're not as smart as me. Well, I mean, you, to work at NASA, you do actually have, they do really have pretty high standards of your education and your knowledge. So you can be neurodivergent and you can be very successful. So something about, to think about some accommodations, maybe it's in the work, maybe it's just people you know, some things to think about how we can accommodate. Really have just some clearly defined scope of work really be clear on what you want the person to do, you know, or what you want to ask of them. Having things written down, printed down, really does help because it's concrete, it's in front of them, it's not just floating around. Some predictable social interactions. So this is a way to actually allow people to mentally prepare. Um, I know for me, again, using my example, back when we worked in the office, so I'm now I'm lucky to be remote first. It works really well for me. I work from home. But before, before COVID time, we were in office, and one of the things that our leadership really liked us to do was to have happy hour after work. That was really hard for me because I worked all day. I was around people all day, and then I had to be around people even longer at the end of the day, and I had to be in the social setting, and that was hard for me. At least usually we had it planned ahead of time, so at least I could mentally prepare for it. No, okay, today's going to be a longer day. Okay, I'm going to have to pretend that I really love this for an extra hour or two. But, but I had that ability. But for it to be right at the end of the day and people are like, we're going to, we, we worked right by next to Great Danes, we're going to Great Dane. Nope, that was just not happening for me because I needed that mental, to prepare mentally for it. 
limited need to mask, so I'm not talking about the, the face mask that, that we do wear. I'm talking about masking as your personality. Allow the person to be themselves. Don't expect them to be quote unquote normal. Don't expect them to act in a certain way and don't stifle that. If they're acting a certain way, just encourage it. You know, some things that we kind of joke around with my, the team that I work with, we all are very unique. A lot of us are neurodivergent. So we're kind of just a group, like a quirky group of people, which is really fun, but we also really encourage it. I know I say and do things and people are like, oh, yep, Jamie's gonna think that way. And we're like, oh, you know, Bill, oh, I can always rely on Bill to do this because he thinks this way. We don't make people mask. I think when we first came together, I think we all kind of did, but because now we work together for a few years, we know each other pretty well, that we kind of just let our quirks hang out, which is great. So if you have the ability to allow other people to be their quirky selves, let them be. There's nothing wrong with it. Again, kind of just, you know, some clear defined performance metrics. So if you work with people, just make sure they know what to expect, whether it's in school or it's worth or just even your relationship. Um, thinking about some sensory interventions. So that's just, think about how sensory interacts with people. Um, lighting can be a big thing. Some people need a lot of light. Some people need it, need it to be dim. Noise. Think about that. Even just think of yourself, what works for you if other noises bother you. I know a lot of people use white noise at night. You know, that's kind of something that we've kind of just in general just kind of normalized and we're like, oh, that's a normal thing. Well, yeah, that's because it's blocking out other noise that could bother you. That's a sensory thing. You know, I know for me, I like things dimmer. I don't like a lot of light, so I know that within my home, I keep things lighter. And But then I also know that there's times when I go over places that light's going to be a lot brighter, so I need to, you know, make up for that. But if other people know that, they can take care of it. Um, just think of all different things. So just a lot of noise, just whatever our, our sensory comes in, really just think about that when you're interacting with people. Um, if you have the ability to help people with working, you know, think about, or yourself, think about flexible work hours that works better for you. Think about that where you work, even if you're working from home or wherever you're at, or if you're in an office. Think about that too, what works best for you. If there's a certain chair that works better for you, if your desk is set up a certain way, do that, you know, self-advocate for yourself because that can help you. And then also just consider individual communication preferences. So whatever works best for you. Some people, you know, maybe you're better with writing sometimes. You know, sometimes maybe that social in-person interaction is hard for you. Okay, then let people know. Okay, I'm better on paper. I'm better if I need some time to think about it and write things down, that's good. Um, again, talking about colleague, I have a colleague that he really needs to think, process things before he can give an answer. So if you ask him to do something, I never expect him to give me an answer right away because he can't, because he needs to, you need to give him that question or that information, he needs to sit with it a little bit and then he'll come back. So I know that it's not something I'm never going to have an immediate answer from him. And that's okay, because he's always going to answer me. It's just going to be in his own time. An interesting thing with this, too, is if you look up accommodations and you look at for work, and if you look up for, if you've heard the word burnout, these accommodations are the same thing. Because it just really, so it's that kind of, promotes when you think about what's good for some people really is good for all of us. So if we can kind of do that baseline and make sure that everyone is getting the accommodations they need, it really does help all of us.
I'm gonna talk a little bit about language. A lot that comes with, especially with autistic people, with neurodivergent people, is and disabled people in general, is identity first language versus person first language. So identity first person, identity first language is saying things like disabled person, autistic person. You're putting the identity before the person. And then person first language is the theory that, well, people are first, and so we need to say people with disabilities, person with autism. Now, I always say you need to do what the person says because that is what they feel and they are right. Whatever they want to be identified as, you really do need to respect that. However, when you think of different things, I never say, I am a woman with whiteness. That sounds kind of weird. I say, I am a white woman because that is my identity. So again, when it comes to disability, really truly, I know we wanna say things like, cause we wanna be nice, we wanna put the person first, but then when we do that, we're saying that being disabled is a bad thing, and it's not, because truly being disabled is just, is that. There's certain things that sometimes we are who we are, and we can't help it. Really truly, it's what society puts on us anyway. So I do encourage you, I know it's uncomfortable because we've been taught to not, we've been taught to put the person first, we've been taught to shove disability aside. Truly try to say things like disabled person, autistic person. I know autistic people, there's a, the vast majority really truly cling to that identity because it's everything they do all day, it's who they are, and they wanna be called autistic person. Sometimes they actually are really quite offended by, by person with autism. Um, earlier in the presentation, there was the Nick, and I can give you her name and her website. She has a lot of, she has like a long blog talking about this topic and has some very strong feelings, and it's quite interesting. Um, but again, go with what the person wants because that's truly how they identify, and that's important. And then one more thing with language. There is, again, we say things because we want to be nicer, we want to be softer with people, um, but I really encourage you to never ever use the term special needs or differently abled. Again, that's just kind of, for one, it's kind of insulting. I don't personally want to be called special. And also it's, and quite frankly, it's not legal. It's not a legal term. It came about, again, because parents, people who had disabled children are like, I don't like saying the word disabled. Disabled's not a bad word, so then we start using things like special needs, when really that actually just, it doesn't make a lot of sense, and it just others people, and we really wanna try not to other people. So truly, again, just call things what it is. I know I, I, I tend to call a spade a spade, but a lot of us really do appreciate if you say autistic person, disabled person. And then one last thing, I just wanna talk about how to this month, July, is Disability Pride Month. And, and this is the flag for Disability Pride. Um, so just to let you know kind of the, the meaning behind it, the black is just kind of what, kind of the otherness, how people with, how dis disabled people are othered. Um, and then the different colors, the different streaks, are just, they just stand for different disabilities. There's not necessarily one. I think there are some where people can say, okay, the green is this, the, the blue is that, but they're just kind of in general just showing the diversity of disabilities. Um, you might see the flag where the lines look like a lightning bolt, and that is to represent just how disabled folks need to kind of, to pivot 
because of how society puts things on them. Um, but it has been realized that actually when you look at it, because of what the lightning bolt and how it is, it can actually cause some issues with sensory, and so it actually can cause um, seizures sometimes. So they had decided to take, to take away the lightning bolt and make it straight lines. So you'll see kind of both. Some people are still using the old style and some people are using the new style. But just some ideas on what can you do for this next month. Um, this is not all inclusive, and these are just some ideas. Um, research disability, I mean, research neurodiversity, just get some knowledge, basic knowledge. There's so much to learn. Look up some disability organizations and do what you feel best. Maybe just researching them is all you do. Maybe you're like, this one really clings to me, so I'm going to volunteer my time, or I'm going to donate some money. Whatever you want to do. Again, practice some identity first language. Also, consume content. So there's a lot of good disability content out there. Um, one person that I really enjoy on social media is Crutches and Spice. They just say it like it is. I think they're, you know, pick your flavor on your social media. I think they're on every one of them. But it's, it's really good. They just, they really, they don't care if they offend you. They're going to tell you their opinion. And they, they really have some great, I mean, I know I watch. And there's times that I'm like, I'm uncomfortable. And that's good because I'm actually thinking. Um, Crip Camp, CODA, those are a couple good. One's a documentary, one's a movie. They actually use disabled people as actors, or actually, actually the people who are disabled too are, are in it too, so it, they're just really good. There's some other ones too. TED Talks, there's a lot of disabled folks that have done TED Talks. Really just anything. And just lastly, I just, I love to use quotes and I thought this was a good one. I know there is strength in the differences between us, and I know there is comfort where we overlap. And that's just kind of thinking about how the duality of life and that our differences are great, but also there is comfort in knowing that we do have some similarities. And that's all I have. Um, if, there, if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them or comments. Love to hear them. Yeah, and thank you so much for sharing. And you have a really good point, too. What's really interesting, especially about autism, is that women go undiagnosed. And for some reason, it's actually kind of amazing now. Lately, I think... I think maybe we're just realizing it, we're being more accepting, is that more and more women are getting diagnosed, but they're getting diagnosed in like their 30s and 40s because we think of, well, when we think of autism, who do we think of? We think of Rain Man, we think of, what is that, that show on ABC, Good Doctor or whatever, because that's our very narrow vision of what autism should look like, and it's not. But now women are finally saying, hey, there's something about me that I want to get checked out. Well, thank you for letting me just kind of babble and, and give my, my opinions out. <laughs>